You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Before we get into today's chat, it's giveaway time. That's right, all December long, I will be giving away holiday goodies and each of you has a chance to win. This week's goodie is from Black Card Revoked. For those of you who don't know, Black Card Revoked is a fun and nostalgia-filled game celebrating American Black popular culture. Co-founder Letitia Williams talked all about the origin of Black Card Revoked in episode 40 of Side Hustle Pro. And this week, one lucky winner will receive the third edition of the Black Card Revoked game plus the Girls' Night Out edition. To enter for your chance to win, visit sidehustlepro.co slash win. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash win. One winner will be randomly selected and notified on December 19th, 2017. Alrighty, now let's get into this episode. Today on the show is the one and only Claire Salmers, the founder of FashionBombDaily.com and the industry's leading fashion blogger chronicling fashionistas of color. Her pioneering work ushered in a new wave of digital journalism that fed and fueled an underserved community of African-American and Latino style lovers. Claire's body of work and her online following has allowed her to partner with major corporate brands, including Toyota, Verizon, and others. And in 11 years, Claire has really built an empire. She has accumulated over 1.2 million followers, written a book, The Bomb Life, and is now hosting on Revolt. I first learned about Claire back when I started reading the Fashion Bomb blog 11 years ago. Like other readers, I have followed her evolution from blogger to brand ambassador to businesswoman. And one of the reasons I'm always so intrigued by Claire is that at first glance, just looking at her Instagram feed, for example, you would have no idea of her story. But she has made some humbling moves and missteps on her path to getting where she is today. And I have so much respect for her for how she's been able to flip fumbles into fortune. And she's not afraid to talk about it. So let's go ahead and chat with Claire. Welcome to the guest chair, Claire. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to catch you on the move. <laughs> I know you're a busy lady. Yes, always on the go. Always on always. the go. So I just <laughs> finished up reading your book and I would love to know, let's start out by going back to the early days. When did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a young girl, my only dream was to be an international businesswoman. My dad is a pilot, um, so I've been had the luxury, I guess, of being able to travel all over the world. And I knew that traveling was something that I wanted to figure in heavily with my job as a grown-up. An international businesswoman, I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that I wanted to be in business, broker deals, um, and do it on an international scale. And it's interesting that my my job is that somewhat. I do travel all over the world, and I do run my own business. So my dreams as a child have come to fruition. Wow. So you um, you went to Harvard, and you majored in something completely different, right? You, what was your major in Harvard? My major was French and African-American studies, and I decided to major in French and African studies because my brother also went to Harvard. Um, my mom is an educator. She's a teacher. We've been reading since we were three years old. So, you know, my mom can be credited for us having a fantastic education. But um, when I got into Harvard, I wanted to major in economics because I still wanted to go on this business kind of track. And my brother told me that I should major in what I wanted to major in, that upon graduation, people would only pay attention to the fact that I went to Harvard and, and that's the case. And um, my degree did end up figuring heavily into what I do now. Um, African-American studies was the basis of how Fashion Bomb Daily was created. I started it as a response to the lack of diversity in traditional media. And my ability to speak French fluently did factor in because I was able to do my first 
internship at a fashion magazine in France at Paris Vogue. And I had to speak French the whole time and write in French. So, you know, a degree, (laughs) it ended up making sense ultimately, but no, I did not major in journalism and we didn't have a fashion vocation at Harvard, but my degree did end up coming in handy during the course of my career. I think a lot of people will see you now even here in this interview, like, wow, she's so glamorous, she's on the move. But one of the things your book really revealed to me, and it gave me a, even more admiration for you because it really showed just how hard you work. Like, literally, you are willing to pay your dues. You graduated with this degree that, you know, you would think you could walk into any job and just get any job you wanted, but you really started from the ground up. So talk to us a little bit about life after graduating from undergrad. Yeah, so I didn't, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to tell the stories of Black people. I felt like at the time our stories weren't balanced, that we were so painted in derogatory, stereotypical, and largely negative ways. And so I wanted to just present something positive and I wanted to do it from behind the scenes. And I wanted to work in TV initially and be a producer of documentaries and different shows, but I didn't have enough experience to work in TV. So I ended up moving back home to Atlanta, Georgia, and figured that the written word was just as powerful as the spoken word. And I would try to try my hand at interning at different magazines and tell stories that way. And while in Kroger one day, I was looking at the magazine stand and saw Upscale Magazine. I opened it up and saw a few contact email addresses I decided to send in my resume, and I ultimately got my first internship at Upscale Magazine. I was an unpaid intern, and I thought I wanted to work in the news department, but they only had an opening in the fashion and beauty department. And that's where my journey began. I started off writing captions, which I guess now is the equivalent to writing a caption on Instagram, but just trying to get that right and doing it in a way that was cool and interesting and using different vocabulary words and once I mastered that my editor was really impressed with me and by the end of my internship I was writing cover stories and opinion pieces and I knew that journalism was what I really wanted to do and so after that I'll just keep it short but after that I I moved to New York because I knew that New York was the home of media and I did two more internships, one at New York Magazine and another at Newsweek Magazine. And with all of that, like over a year of being an intern, I finally got my first full-time job. So, you know, I know these internships had to be humbling. Like (laughs) you're graduating and you're going into an internship. Like how did you get through that when you knew that you're capable of so much, but at the same time you kind of needed to humble yourself to learn and, and hopefully grow in this new industry that you wanted to be in? You know, I think it's it's important to always be humble. And I think that all of my internships taught me the importance of humility. You might think you know so much, but even when I went to Harvard, I thought I was a decent writer. And I remember we had this class called Expos our freshman year, and I was like one of the worst writers in the class. And this is me coming from one of the best schools in the Southeast, you know, I went to Harvard and then when I started writing for magazines, there was a huge learning curve then. So, you know, I think it's important to always take a step back and, and don't don't think you know it all. Don't be a smarty pants. And if you're there, you're there to learn. And if you're talented, then your talent will definitely show through. I mean, I think that most of my internships, especially the one at Paris Vogue, um, you know, I was writing stories that were some of the best read stories of from the past three months. And so my work spoke for itself, even though I was a 28-year-old intern. Um, But, you know, I think it's always good to defer to authority and always kind of take the point of view is that you're there to learn and you're there to figure out the power structure. And then, you know, you can grow from there. And you started Passion Bomb, what is it now, 11 years ago? At what stage did you start this, like after your first internship or once you moved to Paris? So I started Fashion Bomb while I was a researcher reporter at Real Simple magazine. So Real Real Simple was my first full-time job. And I probably started Fashion Bomb two years in. A researcher reporter is not a fun job. They're the department. They used to have these departments in magazines. I feel like now they probably don't because it's the print 
business is, is totally different now, but back in the day, they used to have a department that was in charge of checking facts. So now, like, for example, on Instagram, you could say that somebody's wearing something and you could be wrong or you could misspell their handle. But you can just go and pop in and change it. But in the days of print, um, you know, if you made a mistake, then it was a huge thing and people would be upset. So they had a department dedicated to making sure that everything was spelled right, that all the IDs were correct, that if somebody had a quote in there, that the quote was accurate. So I was in that department and I didn't really want to be in that department. I think that, you know, I learned some really great skills. I think now I'm a stickler for us being correct and I'm a stickler for selling sense of structure like you know some people might just look at fashion bomb and, and glance over it but i am very much about us presenting um accurate uh well-written information all the time but when i was back at real simple it was boring and i wanted to work in fashion and i went to my human resources department and expressed an interest in moving to different fashion magazines and she told me that i needed to have an online presence so I need to have a website. And so I started ClaireSalmers.com, which is still up and running. But ClaireSalmers.com was just a repository for my resumes and the articles that I had written, but it didn't have anything fun. And my webmaster at the time, she told me that if I wanted to have a fun online presence, I should start a blog. And I feel like if Tumblr were around back then, then I probably would have started a Tumblr. And I was just thinking, you know, what should I write about? And I thought, I love to shop. I love to write. So let me talk about shopping. And so that's how Fashion Bomb Daily started. And was it just you at the time? Or did you have, like, other people contributing as soon as you started? It was just me. We got our first intern, Bhutan. I believe that was two years later. And Bhutan still works with us. He still writes our Beauty Crush ones and our Throwback Thursday. You know, once people really started to read and once the the workload got a little bit too not too much to handle but I could, could use some help then I did enlist the help of interns. So what inspired the move to Paris? I mean that is a big life decision. Um, so I had this degree in French and I got this degree in French because I love France. I love speaking the language. I love the culture. I'd been going to Paris and learning French at the Sorbonne or doing an exchange with a family since I was 16 years old. So I fell in love with Paris when I was really young. And one of my goals was to speak French fluently. And another one of my goals was to live in Paris longer than six months. So there were those goals. And also, you know, there, there, there was a point when I was working at Real Simple when I really wanted to go into fashion. I was trying to get interviews at Vogue and Mary Claire and People Style Watch and everybody told me no. And I just took that to mean that I didn't have the right experience. I was just looking at the trajectory of a fashion editor and most fashion editors, they start off as the fashion intern at a fashion magazine and then they move up from the bottom. And I was like, I'm 28 years old. I've been working. I've had this full-time job for four years. Let me just go ahead and, you know, if I want to start from the bottom and be an intern again, the only way I can justify it is if I'm in a different country, because then I could say that I'm learning the language. And so that's what I did. I was unhappy at my job. I wanted to move to Paris all my life. And I had this newfound love of fashion and just thought, you know, let me quit my job and move to Paris and, and get on with my life. So that's what I did. That's just, you know, you, you kind of brush over that. Like, no, we, we're going to take some time on that because that is no easy feat. So where did you live? Where did you get your job? Like, how did you even do that? So um, initially I was trying to find a job in Paris while I was working at Real Simple and it wasn't working. And most of the people, I sent my resume to Women's Wear Daily and to International Herald Tribune and, and a common refrain I was hearing was that I had to be in Paris and people had to know I was serious before they would even consider me uh, a candidate worth considering. So I knew that I had to move to Paris to, to be there. Through my travels when I was younger, I had met people in Paris. I still have friends in Paris, but there was a guy who worked at an internship I did my sophomore year of college and we stayed in touch and we met up one summer while I was in Paris and I was like, yeah, I really want to move to Paris, but I don't know like where I'm going to work, but I know that at the very least I'll need somewhere to live. 
And he said, my mom, she rents these little studios to students. They're 500 euro a month. And let me call her and see if one's available. And he called her while I was sitting there. And she picked up and she was like, actually, yes, I have one that's available in November. So I just planned my move around the date of me having to move into this apartment. And I told myself, you know, I'll have a place to live. I can freelance, write for different publications stateside. And then when I'm there, I can interview with different publications and try to find a job. Finding a job in Paris was not easy. It actually took me over a year before I was able to get an interview at Paris Vogue. And, and then it took me a little bit longer to actually be able to do my internship at Paris Vogue. And in the meantime, I did interview at Women's Wear Daily. They were not interested I interviewed at International Herald Tribune. They were not interested. Um, But I knew that my goal was to work at Paris Vogue. I just felt like it was an unattainable goal. And so I was trying to find other publications that would have been my second or third choice. But I ultimately got my first choice. And it was just, you know, an act of God. I felt like it was almost a miracle. Um, (laughs) but, But it happened. And I think, you know, after that, I was able to believe in myself more and believe in my ability magic out of out of nothing and it also just strengthened my faith like I got my two tattoos faith and hope in Paris because I moved out there on faith and um God came through for me he really did he answered all my prayers that's amazing and it really just shows how like when you set your mind to something like you are not gonna stop until you get it but at this time, yeah. was Fashion Bomb making like advertising money or were you just living off of savings during that year that you didn't have a job? I was living off of savings and I actually was working with a company. Their name was Gorilla Nation and they promised me that I would make a ton of money. But when I moved there, this was a case for a lot of um, ad networks. You wouldn't get your first payment for the first, for like six months or something. And so I actually was, was making less money than I was from the website um, than I was when I was stateside. Still, when I was work, when I was, when I had the blog stateside, I still was not making enough to live off of. I still had my full-time job, um, but the blog was making nothing. And so I had to, I think during those times when it was very low or I was waiting for a freelance check to come in, I did a lot of research and I found, out different ways to sell advertising on my site. And I just had to do a lot of research and and figure out what I could do to make money. Um, But I can say that it was a very poor time. Um, As you read in the book, like the the place that I lived in was basically condemned after the ceiling fell in. Um, I learned how to, you know, like get the cheapest thing from the grocery store. You know, you can make spaghetti with meat sauce which is a very cheap and filling meal. Um, I, I learned how to do without things like paper towels, just little things that I'm sure we don't even think about now. <laughs> you know, I, I barely think about it now, but, you know, I didn't use paper towels. I just used like a rag, you know, on the stove and then I would wash it, you know, just kind of, mm-hmm. I learned how to live on a lot less and make do with what I had to make ends meet. Yeah, I mean, when I talk about, I did not know all that behind the scenes. Like, she was sleeping on a tub, you guys. Like, literally, what was it, a mattress on top of a tub? There was a mattress on top, yeah. A lot of people are confused, and part of me wishes I could go back to that apartment <laughs> and reenact it. No, somehow. you don't. You know, there are no... <laughs> There are no pictures from that era, really. I mean, there might be one or two, but I was so mm-hmm. ashamed, you know? Like, but at the end of the day, like... That was kind of my lowest point, but it was actually almost also simultaneously my highest point. I remember the day before I went to Paris Vogue, I didn't have enough money to to eat dinner. And I remember my friend Ellen, who um, let me stay with her. It was on her tub that I slept, but she bought me a meal at McDonald's the day before my first day at Paris Vogue. And I remember going to my first Chanel show and it won't be my last Chanel show. And I hope, you know, the next Chanel show I go to, I'll go in, in pure splendor and, and grandeur. But <laughs> I remember going to my first Chanel show and, and then coming home to, to my, you know, the bathroom term, turn room with me sleeping on a tub. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a book called The 40-Hour Work Week that I read. And it encouraged anyone who read it to put into words their deepest fears about stepping out 
on faith and pursuing their dreams. And one of my fears was that I would end up homeless. Mm. And, you know, thank God I wasn't totally homeless in Paris, but I was close. I mean, I think the tub was close, but Mm. then, you know, after three months of sleeping on the tub, then one of the girls who lived there, it was, um, it was an apartment with three bedrooms. One of the girls who lived there, she moved out. So then I moved into a really nice room. And then afterwards, it's interesting, a young uh, black socialite, she was spending the summer in Paris and her initial roommate dropped out. So her parents really wanted somebody to just stay with her. And they were like, pay us whatever you can. So so the last few months I spent in Paris, I was in this gorgeous luxury apartment, like right by the, the Seine. So, you know, everything just kept getting better from there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your side hustle journey, because you literally put your blood, sweat and tears into this out of pure love. I'd love to know what kept you Mm -hmm. going, even when you were not making any money and you just got your dream job. Right. So what made you keep blogging? Um, You know, I think what always keeps me going is the fact that I don't do it for money. I do it for love. And um, I also just saw the the people who would send me emails or the submissions I would get for Fashion Bombshell of the Day. Like, Fashion Bombshell of the Day started in Paris because I used to do something called Real Style Monday. Every day when I first started Fashion Bomb would be dedicated to a different theme because I used to only update once a day. But anyway, when I went to Paris, I couldn't find anybody with street style. The street style was terrible. I mean, I don't know. When, when I went to Paris, Back in the day, people were very simple and they weren't stepping out and, and shutting on them. That might be an American thing. <laughs> but that's why I began That's why I began Fashion Bombshell of the Day because I, I wasn't finding street style and I needed to feature somebody with style so I would ask readers for submissions. Um, and so that's how Fashion Bombshell of the Day started. And, and Fashion Bombshell of the Day has been one of our most popular features since then. But I think what kept me motivated was just the pure love of, of what I was doing and understanding that there was a need for what I was doing. And, you know, all the while I felt like one day I wanted to be an editor at Vogue. And I did have an opportunity to join Vogue.com when I moved back to the States initially. But by that time, I was making so much money from blogging that I didn't need to work for anybody else. Mm. Now, I have been with you since all 11 years, really. But did you um, take steps to intentionally market at all? Or was it just so organic at that point? All of our marketing was, I would say, organic. I, I do think that I tried. Like, I used to send out email blasts. Um, I used to collaborate with different bloggers like YBF for a long time. The YBF would um, link back to us or we would do fashion coverage for the YBF. Then it went on to Nicole Bitchy. I remember I was writing for Nicole Bitchy while I was um, in Paris. Like that same month when I was living in the luxury apartment, I was doing fashion coverage for Nicole Bitchy. So I think that I've always benefited from aligning myself with very strong brands. And, you know, I think that people just by Googling, I mean, you said you don't know how you found it, but I think a lot of people found this from just searching for stuff online, what to wear to, you know, fill in the blank. And we've always been really good about making sure that, you know, we, we rank high in search engines and I feel like, you know, back in the day, if you search Beyonce style, Fashion Bomb would come up second. So we were always extremely consistent with all of the, the information that we put out on the website. And now we're yearning to have that same consistency with Instagram. Mm. So when did you really feel the entrepreneurship call? Was it like a light bulb moment when you finally realized that you didn't need any magazine or brand to define you and that you could really define yourself with this platform you were building? Yeah, I think it was that, you know, I had written Anna Wintour several times and Anna Wintour has always responded to my emails, not her personally, but her assistant or she would send me over to another editor. But I remember, I I guess the last time that I wrote Anna Wintour and I felt like I had all this great experience. I was writing for Italian Vogue. I interned for Paris Vogue. And by this time, Fashion Bomb was one of the top 100 style blogs in the world back when they were still quantifying that. But, you know, this time she, she sent me to Human Resources. And I felt like it was a slap in the face. Because, I mean, call me crazy, but I always want to meet the head honcho. Like, I felt like, you know, I wanted to meet with Anna. 
and I went to my mom and I was crying and I was like, I really want to meet Anna. And she was like, why are you crying? You're making, you know, at that time I was making $5,000 a month, which when I was living in Paris was like the goal. Like that was the ultimate goal. If I could just make $5,000 a month, my life would be wonderful. Um, but my mom was like, you're making good money doing this. So you're fine. And I just had to come to the realization that I was fine and I didn't need validation from Vogue. And, you know, I think learning how to run a business and being a great leader and being an entrepreneur, that's a whole nother learning curve. And that's something that I've had to learn over the years just for the sake of my business. You have to learn things about hiring staff and getting an accountant and making sure your taxes are paid. Like there are some things that you have to learn in order to run a profitable business, learning how to stay within budget and go under budget and learning when to barter and when to spend and what to invest on and getting a great return on your investment. So, you know, I, I think the learning always continues for me. And so speaking of, you know, your mom telling you that about you're making good money, what were some of the first avenues you explored to monetize and how does that compare today in terms of the revenue streams in your business? It's all advertising. I think the advertising revenues, the revenue streams change. And so I think it's important for anybody to always be nimble, never rely on one thing, always diversify your offering. When I was making that 5k a month, it was from ad sales on the website, but that was also before Instagram and social media. So we know now that most people are on Instagram and social media. So now it's, similar ad streams, but now it's from Instagram. And we've also learned to find other ways to monetize our audience. We have events, we sell products. We are continuing to think of different ways to give you the fashion bomb experience in different forms and then figuring out how to monetize that. You're so right about having to just be nimble. I love the part of the book, in fact, where you talk about reaching out to brands to become a brand ambassador, like taking that into your own hands. What inspired you to pursue that and to be bold enough to do that? I think um, my first big brand ambassadorship opportunity was with Toyota. And I was a Toyota ambassador for three years, and that was great. And I realized that it was a wonderful revenue stream. And I was like, well, how many other things can I be an ambassador for? And so I just thought about, you know, what did I like to use? What products do I normally use? Where do I like to shop? And I started there and, you know, you just put a deck together. I have wonderful people on my team who can create decks and media kits. So I had a young lady put together a presentation that gave a rundown of who the fashion bomb leader was and who I was. And then she also outlined different opportunities that people could invest in in order to put their brand in front of our readers. And, you know, we started off low and, and, and each year we continue to gain steam. We continue to learn lessons about how to work well with, with sponsors and how to make sure that advertisers are happy because it's not about that one check. And, and I think in life, it's not about just one hit. It's about continuous reach out to different brands and, and see which one responds to you. I mean, I've reached out to so many stores. I've reached out to Saks. I've reached out to Nordstrom and I haven't gotten a response yet, but that's not to say that it won't happen. Maybe you just have to continue to work on yourself. But in the meantime, we had a wonderful collaboration with Moda Operandi. I've done work with Netta Porte. So you know, I would just say to cast your net wide, um, always stay true to yourself, you know, like f after three years of being with a great brand like Toyota, I wanted to move into the luxury sector. So now I'm looking at BMW, I'm looking at Lexus, I'm looking at Mercedes and I'm okay if, if I don't work with a Toyota, if I can be with a brand that I really feel like I've evolved to have. <laughs> So, you know, it's okay to take the L for a year and maybe pursue other things. But I, I always keep my eye on the prize and I always go for what I want. And you just be surprised, like, how much you can get if you're just focused and, and, and persistent. I think that is definitely the theme for this episode is going for what you want. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So at what stage did you hire a team and like a real team? And like, how did you figure out what to pay them and how did you afford that? 
Um, so, you know, I think that a, a big step in a, in a lot of business owners' trajectories is understanding that ad revenue or anything that the company makes is not your personal piggy bank. Um, and that's like a light bulb that goes off. But, you know, eventually you have to get to the point where you're paying yourself a salary. And then if you value your quality of life, then you're able to pay other people a salary so that they can help you. A lot of times you can get people to work at no cost. But, but, you know, you just kind of figure out a, a good, I guess, compromise between what you want and what other people want. Some people think the fashion bomb rate is, is for writers is low because, you know, they can, they can get paid a lot more at fashionista.com or at Vogue.com. But sadly, we're not Vogue.com. But, you know, we do offer the flexibility where you can do whatever you want. You can make a little extra change for whatever you want in life. And, and it's really kind of like you know, you do what you can and, and, and we'll pick up the rest. And I know that when I was coming up, when I was an intern or even when I was living in Paris, I would have died to have a job like that where you can just kind of write to your heart's content and submit an invoice and, and you'll get paid every week. So, you know, it, it's kind of been a long process of finding the right team. But I think right now we have about six people on salary and we have two interns um, and I have an accountant now. So, my accountant handles invoices. You know, I was get, having this incident where, you know, I would be going on vacation or I'd be going on a press trip. And this happens. Like, it's just human nature. or Maybe it's just me, but all my invoices would come in. Like, I'd touch down and be like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for vacation. Now I get a bunch of invoices from probably people working for me who wish they're on vacation too, which is fine. But um, now I'm like, let me outsource the accounting department so I'm not, you know, annoyed by by invoices all the time but you just have to start to as you make money from from blogging you have to invest it back into your company and you know I invest into writers I invest into an accountant and one and and having people who can handle those foundational things allows you to continue to build and grow your business so I don't think you can 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 scale if you don't have if you don't invest in a team and key people who can help you to to grow. You know, one thing I really appreciate about you is that you are fearless and you are not afraid to walk up on people <laughs> and state who you are, what you're about. So have you always been that fearless or was it kind of born out of necessity once you had to go out and get yours in Paris? I think I'm, I'm I'm scared. You know, a lot of times we feel that fear and we cower, but a lot of times we feel that fear and we use that to propel us forward. Um, something that I learned while I was at my magazine job was that, you know, in, in magazines there are politics. And a lot of times the people... I'm, the, the people who would go around the office and pop their head into people's office and they were friends with everybody and they made everybody laugh. Those were the people who were getting the promotions and they were getting paid more. And I'm not that type of chick. I go, when I go to work, I put my head down and I do the work. I, I do my work and I do good work, but the whole fraternizing part of it is not really I, I feel part of my job description, which is probably why I don't work in corporate anymore, but I was just like just by being nice and making jokes, they're having a better quality of life. And what they're doing is, is determining where their kids go to school and what neighborhoods they, they, they live in. And if you just think about it, it's like either I do this and I have a better life or I cower back and I am I'm where I am. And you see how like serious that is. And then you just understand that you want more for yourself. And if you just take this chance, then you, you never know what could happen. That takes a lot of, of the trepidation out of it for me you know um I just felt like for example when I was crashing shows in Paris that there, I tell the story in my book of this guy who like basically wanted me to sleep with him in exchange for fashion show access and instead of him saying that explicitly he lied to me he told me that one show was one place and it wasn't and I was like, I'm not going to let this man or any situation determine my destiny. And if I have to crash a gate and walk up to Kanye West and get an exclusive in order to, to distinguish myself from my counterparts and ultimately bring in more page views or ultimately, and then ultimately bring in more ad dollars, then I'm going to do it. Um, 
and so and so that that's how that's how I feel. It's it's kind of like a YOLO sort of mentality. You really only live once. Um, you know, I'd say to use your intuition and and don't confuse fear for the fact that you shouldn't do it. Like you you should do what feels right. You know, every time I approached Kanye, it felt right. I remember one time I was um, I saw Oprah at Essence Women in Hollywood and. Um, I was there with a guy that I was dating, but for some reason, like I've met Oprah before. I met her once before and I took a picture with her, but for some reason in that situation, when Oprah was five feet away from me, I was too scared to tap her on the shoulder or say hi. And obviously Oprah is like the, the queen goddess everlasting. Like I, I, what I, you know, dream to pattern my career against Oprah's. But in that moment, it didn't feel right. And now that I think back on it, I'm like, okay, so this crazy guy would have been right next to me because he was there with me. He was always my plus one to everything, even though he had no business being there. But I'm like, this crazy guy would have been with me and I would have walked up to Oprah and maybe she would have felt this weird energy from this crazy man and maybe it wouldn't have been good. So right. maybe it was good that I held back this time. She would have remembered you for that. Yeah. For that. And, and you know, me bringing him to other situations did result in, in, you know, delays in my blessings and all sorts of things. So I would say trust your gut, but you know, if, if it feels right to you, go for it. If And if it doesn't feel right, don't go for it. But like, don't let butterflies be the reason, you know, just, just kind of scope it out and see if it feels comfortable. And if you feel comfortable enough to do it, just do it. Now, since you touched on it, like as an entrepreneur, like what would you say looking back, like about this relationship that you had, like, you know, what would be your advice for women who are coming up and they're trying to juggle that? Like they want to, they want an awesome personal relationship, but then they also have this business and you can't allow you know, a needy partner or someone who's not the right fit for you to potentially ruin business opportunities. So, you know, what takeaway do you have from that? Um, I would say don't settle. You know, I think that I was so desperate to have a relationship that I was with this person who, you know, there were red flags everywhere, red flags from the moment I met him. My friend said it, my mom said it, I didn't listen to them, but you know, definitely listen to people around you who care about you and don't um don't ignore red flags. You know, don't ignore your intuition with that with, with things like that because I knew deep inside that there was something wrong. And, you know, I I fell for the whole, you know, I want to get married to you and all that stuff. And because I wanted to get married, I you know, I overlooked a lot of things that I shouldn't have. Um, another thing that I would say is it's okay for your man to be in, be involved in your business, but I would say to make sure that they are elevating you and not being, you know, a detriment to what you're doing. You know, this guy, he wanted to be at all the shows. He wanted to be on the red carpet. He wanted to be a star. And, and that was a huge red flag for me. Versus somebody who really just wants to help you. They're not interested in socializing. They're not interested in meeting all the stars. They're just going to support you from the back, (laughs) you know, like from behind the scenes and give you some great advice. But they're not trying to come out and and be all up in the mix. But, you know, I never thought, I, I think over the course of my career, I've met a lot of male groupies. I didn't think they exist, but I met a lot of them who, you know, try to kind of climb on my back and, and get what they can from me. And, um, you know, I think that that situation just taught me to be extremely discerning who I let in my circle. It also taught me to, you know, understand that it took me years to get into these rooms. It took me years to be in a room with Pop Daddy or years to like have Sierra and Nicki Minaj like our post. But a lot of times I forget those years when I was on the outside and crashing and and nobody knew who I was. But, you know, it it gave me a lot of appreciation for for how far I've come and and how precious it is and that I don't want to lose it. The last thing I can say about that, though, is that love is possible. I think a lot of times Black women are fed this 
myth that, you know, if we're successful, we can't have a successful relationship. And, you know, there aren't any men out there and, and that's bullshit. You know, I met a great man two months after I broke up with the other one who is exactly the opposite. And he's great. Um, we're not married yet, but I feel like that's coming. And, you know, he is he's everything you know what I mean so I experienced the very worst to know what I did not want <laughs> and now I feel like I have the very best um but I would say don't don't settle and if everyone around you is telling you that it's a bad idea then listen to them and <laughs> definitely is. listen to your mother yes well I'm so happy for you that you have found a much better guy now you just touched on something too that I wanted to get to, which is the whole gate crashing piece. Now, I'm curious to know what are some do's and don'ts you would share for up and coming um, fashion bloggers and fashion entrepreneurs who want to cover these major shows, but they're not getting the invites yet. Like, is gate crashing still a thing or it's just a huge no no? You know, I learned ultimately that gate crashing was not, you know, the way to go, especially with the, the blog bully that I dealt with. Um, you know, that was really kind of her ammunition that I was crashing gates using her name. She didn't know that I was using gates, you know, crashing gates using all sorts of, you know, I was just doing everything to try to get into shows. But um, that was, I think, back in the day before everything was online and everything was live and everything was on Instagram. You know, I was, I actually, I wasn't invited to Kanye's second Donda show in Paris, but um, there was a writer one of the few writers who's ever given me a, an invite to anything, but she was like, I don't want to go to this show. I'll tell PR consulting that you're going to go in my place. So I did attend Kanye's second show and I had an invite to that. But when I was going to that one, I was live tweeting and, you know, taking pictures with my iPad and uploading it to the blog. Like it was just a totally different thing than it is now I mean I think now you can just see everything on Instagram half the half the time the the brand is is live broadcasting it themselves so you know I don't think that I mean I feel like fashion shows in general are just kind of very passe and and they might exist for a few more years or they might not you know it's kind of like print publications or you know actually shopping in a store like it's just so old school. So I would say for somebody coming up, um, find other ways to distinguish yourself. I think that this is the world of the influencer. This is the world of you showing people life through your eyes and, and how you do things. And, and so you might have to do something else. But in general, you know, gate crashing is no bueno. Like the fashion world takes it really seriously. I think I would have emerged unscathed if I hadn't, you know... <laughs> use the, the name of somebody who was just not about that and then hell bent on trying to ruin me um but you know you don't you don't want to take that risk so now i mean and i would say that for anybody you know if you're invited great go to the show you're invited to and if you're not invited don't go um you can stand outside uh you can figure figure stuff out maybe your friends can bring you in with them but you know, it's not that serious anymore. Like I think street style is more interesting or discovering that new designer that's going to be the next hot thing. You know, that that's probably more interesting than being in the room at a fashion show. doesn't matter. All right. Take it from Claire. She's been there, done that. Do you have any other advice for, <laughs> um, for bloggers that are starting out and also just fashion entrepreneurs? People could be trying to do lots of things in fashion. Should they try to get like work experience first? And then, you know, side hustle, should they hit the ground running with the blog and try to monetize? I think it just depends. Um, it's hard for me to say. It just depends on what it is you want to do. Um, like, what do you want to contribute to the culture? What do you want to contribute to the industry? And how can you do that in a way that hasn't been done before? Um, you know, I think that we benefited from just being the only site that did what we did. And now we're we're still the only site that, that does what we do. And anybody who tries to copy us, good luck, you know, because I've seen a lot of people kind of crop up and it's like, it's a grind. It's hard. It's a lot of content. It's every day. So you can get burned out easily. Um, but I would just, I would say to just um, hone in on, on what it is 
you want to contribute, whether it's the YouTube channel or you take beautiful pictures or whatever, um, definitely get experience working for a bigger company first. You can always learn more and always do more. And then, you know, I, I guess once you are at that point, um, then you can move on and, and figure out how you can distinguish yourself. So as for Claire, like, how are you continuing to grow your brand? You've obviously authored your first book, which we keep talking about, and I'm not selling a book. I'm not an affiliate for this, you guys. I just <laughs> really got a lot of inspiration from it. But yeah, how are you continuing to grow your brand into 2018 and beyond? Um, we are really expanding our Cocktails with Claire, Conversations with Claire series. Um, we've learned a lot of key lessons from the past four years. Next year will be our fifth year. And I believe we're just going to focus on um, creating more experiences, making sure they're spaced out and making sure that they're as big and luxurious and, and awe-inspiring as possible. Um, we're coming out with a print publication as well next year, which I'm supposed to keep a secret, but I'm so excited. I want to tell everybody. <laughs> um, and I'm moving to L.A. in January to pursue more video opportunities and do more interviews. We're working with Revolt. And so looking to strengthen my relationship with Revolt. And yeah, that's it, really. All right. Well, I'm, I'm loving the new direction, the rebrand, the new hair, everything. And I'm really excited for what's to come. Thank you. So last thing, we're going to jump into a quick lightning round. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? YouTube. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, there's so many gems on YouTube from inspirational speakers to, I mean, I just watched something Damon Dash did. Um, he has great advice. Anybody who you aspire to be, if they're on YouTube, then, then go on there and watch them. I've watched a lot of Oprah's interviews. I can't wait to watch more, but, you know, just always just learn and research. And I think YouTube is a great way to, to do it in a way that's a little bit fun. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode or live event that you've consumed this year? Um, I love the book, How to Be CEO by Jeffrey Fox. It's a perennial favorite. It's um, definitely a classic of mine. It's a very short book, but it has about, let's say two pages per chapter and each chapter is just like to be the best you have to work harder than everybody else um you know like do something lonely for one you know for for some time during your day like it just has little tidbits on how to be the best ceo in an organization but you can also kind of take those lessons and apply it to any area of your life so that's a really great one. My brother gave me that one. And then another book I read all the time is Think and Grow Rich. It's by Napoleon Hill. I read it after reading Damon John, um, Damon John from FUBU and Shark Tank fame. Um, he wrote autobiography and he said that that was one of his favorite books. So that's one of mine also. Okay. Number three, who is your favorite black woman entrepreneur and why? Oprah, um, because she's killing it. Uh, she, um, used her smarts and intelligence and created an empire. She even took a few hits with her own network, but she came back swinging and she is unstoppable. She is brilliant and she is all I aspire to be. All right. Number four, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Uh, I think writing goals down. Um, I write, I wrote, I write all my goals down. Like even that 5,000 a month goal, I wrote that down when I was in Paris. Um, and then it, it came true. So I think when you write stuff down and then you also put it somewhere where you can see it, that helps to keep you accountable. And I think always being very clear and focused on everything that I want, you know, just being specific and encouraging anybody around me, if I care about them to be super specific with what they want out of life too. You know, you can be able to say in two minutes what it is you want out of life, exactly how much money you want to make, exactly where you want to live, exactly what you're going to drive. 
exactly what kind of watch you want to have. And it might sound crazy, but, you know, it works for me. (laughs) Finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? I would say that the money will come, that, you know, it should never feel like work. Definitely follow your passion, but also figure out how to turn your passion into a business. Study and do your research. Uh, learn learn business. I would say um, just figure out how to make a profit. I have so many friends, or I have actually one friend, can't pay a rent all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I'm doing a closet sale. Do you want to participate? And she's like, no. And I'm like, bro, you don't have any money. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Like, why are you not catching on? And I think a lot of times artists are like, Oh no, it's my art. And I have to, you know, maintain a certain standard. And I get that, but you also have to eat. So it's just like figure out a way to make money and figure out a way to turn a profit. And it's not in a way that's like, vulgar it's in a way that you have to find a way to pay your bills and and pay your rent so really be kind of creative with that um and and figure it out so what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode yes you can always follow us on fashion bomb daily and at claire summers on instagram we also just launched a few new sites fashion bomb men fashion bomb kids fashion bomb africa we have a lot more coming. We have Cocktails with Claire and the Bomb Life all on Instagram. So we're continuing to expand on, expand on Instagram. And you can find us at fashionbombdaily.com and thebomblife.com, which is my new baby. It's where I write from the heart and give lots of business and life advice. So be sure to check out The Bomb Life also. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today. Thank you. All righty. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.